Time for From the Bench with Ditch, Special Edition Bulldog Valley. A recap of last week's Highland Game, Valley Conference Recap, and a look ahead to this weekend's game. Hello, welcome to Week 9 of Bulldog Valley. That's right, Week 9, the season is over as far as regular season goes. Hello everyone, Denny Rittenhouse here along with Rodney Knackstead and Rodney uh, back in the saddle again after a couple week hiatus and uh, welcome back partner. Thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll get rolling here. Of course, uh, Highland coming off the heels of uh, another victory, the 60-27 to thrashing of uh, Decatur St. Teresa on Friday night up in Decatur. Uh, hope you had a chance to, to join the broadcast there. A nice uh, stadium up there at St. Teresa, good looking field. Nice scoreboard. They all kind of look like clones of each other anymore, Rodney, <laughs> with all these schools getting um, AstroTurf fields and uh, uh, the, the updated modern scoreboards. And, uh, and Friday was no exception. Nice uh, field up there at Decatur and a nice victory for the Highland Bulldogs. Uh, Rodney, I, I was impressed with um, uh, St. Teresa and their game plan coming out in the game. Uh, coach Ramsey, who's a phenomenal coach, by the way, 77-15 and 15 record in his tenure there, and that's counting his eight losses this season. Wow. And so, um, um, and, and so you kind of knew he'd have some tricks up his sleeve, and his game plan was crystal clear. Ball control, and we're not going to let Dylan Beetle beat us. And um, uh, he was effective with the ball control. Uh, Decatur came out and had a six and a half minute drive to open the game and put it in the end zone. And it, it was uh, a very impressive drive. And they had uh, uh, LaCarrion Jones, their big bulldog running back, 5'7, uh, uh, 230 pounds. Man, he was a beast all night long. Now they controlled, they sent, they sent a message early on that, uh, hey, don't, we don't care about our record, we're going to play a game tonight. And uh, Highland answered um, with one of their patented uh, one-minute drives, <laughs> right. uh, um, punching in with a 29-yard uh, touchdown catch to Nick Judge uh, to give Highland the lead. And they had to go for two all night long because the soccer team was playing in the postseason. You know, I was listening to the game, and uh, about the third time that they went out to do the two points, uh, I looked over at my wife Kelly and I said, I'll bet their kickers are both gone. There's got to be something going on with soccer. And then yeah. you cleared that up later on. That yeah, I, yes, I, sure I, I did the same thing, and I looked it up um, during one of the breaks early on, and it was final already. And so I thought, well, that, that game must have been played yesterday or something. Because <laughs> I, I looked it up and saw saw they had lost 6-1 to to try it in the, in the postseason. And I thought, oh, that must have been earlier this week. I don't know what's going on here. But, uh, yeah, the... Um, uh, Jeff Seavers cleared it up for me a little bit later, uh, and so um, it reminded me of a, a Mike Martz game back in the day when San Diego Chargers were in town, and uh, Jeff Wilkins was hurt, and so he went for two every time. They, the Rams put up nearly 60 in that game. It, it was a fun atmosphere. Kind of reminded me of that. Highland takes the lead 8-7, and they're marching back again, and they they were in the midst of a another long drive. Decatur, I'm I'm talking about, um, and had already killed four and a half, maybe five minutes on this second drive, and then the play of the game um, that that really turned things around. Gavin Fry comes up with the pick six, and 
uh, goes about 60 yards on, on the ret interception return. He, he stepped in front on the run uh, and just glided down the sidelines for, for a pick. And I, I think that really took the, the, the wind out of the sails for Decatur St. Teresa. They answered with a touchdown, but then it was all Highland after that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the one where we put a lot of pressure on and he just threw the ball up? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, we had a good rush on him, which we didn't get in the uh, first drive. And uh, uh, there was a, a good rush on uh, uh, the quarterback for Decatur St. Teresa, and he heaved it. Um, poor decision on his part, and Gavin Fry. Uh, just had a, a gift wrapped to him, and uh, he took advantage up and knew knew how to open that gift, and uh, <laughs> just went flying down the the uh, far sideline for for the pick uh, six, and gave Highland a 16 to uh, seven lead. Decatur answered with another touchdown drive, a long one, another long one, and, um, uh, and that was probably six minutes itself. So we're into the second quarter uh, with about eight minutes to go before Highland. Uh, gets the ball again. They had the ball one minute and eight seconds at that point um, going before they got the ball again. It, and all night long, their drives were that way. They scored every time they had the ball. Decatur had no answer defensively. And so uh, their game plan was, was um, uh, really the only chance they had. Keep our and, uh, offense But that, off that the was field. too much to ask. And uh, uh, Highland was able to finally answer and um, what a what a game uh, for for the Bulldogs. Um, they, they ran into a, a coach that, that said we're going to eliminate something and make other guys beat us, and the elimination was Dylan Beetle. They they just uh, harassed Beetle all day long on the when Highland was on offense. He had uh, double team coverage on the outside, and and when he went in motion, there was a, a shadow man following him. In motion, so so he was uh, not able to do a whole lot offensively, and so so they did eliminate that weapon. But Gavin Fry stepped up. Uh, I mean, not Gavin, uh, uh, Hunter Fry steps up, and uh, every time he touched the ball, it was twenty plus yards. Well, and that's the thing. Beetle, in a way, did help because that guy that follows him now he's not there to help take the other guy down. So uh, by him taking two guys up. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not taking anything away from Hunter because obviously he still had to produce when he got the ball, and he did, and good for him. Seven carries for 134 yards for Hunter wow. Fry. Um, two touchdowns to go with it. A Beetle, by contrast, two carries for 14 yards. Uh, he still managed a, a good positive yardage when they could get it to him, and receiving uh, four for just 34 yards. And I say just 34, I mean, that's eight-plus yards in average, but uh, Beetle's been uh, well above that all season long. Uh, Jelly on the game, 9 of 11 again, Mr. Efficient, two touchdowns, zero picks, and uh, um, we, we've just come to expect it from him anymore. Uh, uh, just, uh, so does that make him 19 touchdowns and only three interceptions? That, that's in? where he's at. Wow, yes. that is amazing. Yeah, on the season, 92 for 132, just a great percentage, uh, completion percentage. He's right near 70% there for uh, 1,499 yards, 19 and 3. Wow, uh, so that is amazing. Very impressive stats. Especially for, such a young quarterback yeah yeah he's, a, he's just a sophomore and uh, uh 
Coach Warnicky just grins when he thinks about that. <laughs> I got two more years yeah. in him. <laughs> more years. Uh, elsewhere, Jelly, five carries for 45 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Tyson Rakers, a nice day, six carries for 51 yards and a touchdown. He also had a couple of receptions for 31 yards and a touchdown. Had a big game. Would have been about another, what, 50 yards on his total if yeah. it hadn't been called back on a penalty. Still got the first down because of how they do that in the pro uh, in the high school. But. Right. Right. That was a um, potential backbreaker, but uh, Highland, uh, has they've done all season, just shakes off the penalties and, and uh, takes care of the business at hand. So a uh, good, productive day all around offensively. Defensively, there were a couple standouts. Uh, we mentioned uh, Ethan Greenwald. And uh, he did lead them in tackles, and man, he was a workhorse all night because uh, they're they're missing um, their their stud lineman Chase Paquette uh, to to an injury, and uh, that was exposed a little bit. But Will Bolin stepped up eventually in the game and got it got his feet warm, um, and and was able to adjust. And, and uh, we saw the improvement as the game went along. I figured that because it was early in the game that they were moving the ball well on the ground and. As you said, once Bowen got his feet wet, got that experience, just just a few series of experience, he made his adjustments and, and started to block that hole up again. But Greenwald, there were a couple times where he was a little groggy getting up after the, uh, <laughs> meeting uh, Mr. Jones head on, and, and Jones had he. he he had to be pushing 200 yards when he tacked on that 75-yarder at the end of the game. Um, so, so it was a, a just a, a workhorse effort by Greenwald, and then offensively he did his usual um, blowing holes open from his fullback spot that uh, Hunter Fry was running off his tail all night long. And um, so, so we're going to give the uh, player of the game to both those guys. Uh, Hunter Fry also made some plays defensively, uh, particularly uh, one. Uh, critical uh, fourth down play where, where St. Teresa went for it and Hunter slashed through the line of scrimmage to make the tackle for a loss. Um, so, so he was doing it on both sides of the ball as well. So our player of the, player of the game goes to uh, Hunter Fry and Ethan Greenwald. Uh, they rewarded uh, Greenwald with the two-point conversion late in the game. And uh, uh, Don't you love it when coaches do that? Yeah, yeah. And, and so... Uh, uh, 60 to 27, the final up there to Decatur St. Teresa. It was a fun ride home. In fact, it was like a, a field of dreams ride home because you had modern day playing right down the road at Mount Zion, and the games kind of ended at the same time. So by the time you got to Pena, there was a caravan of cars <laughs> heading from Pena to Carla or Vandalia. Uh, uh, I counted at least 12, uh, maybe 13 different cars. In, in the caravan uh, heading home, and they all get on Interstate 70 there, so it was a fun night out there, <laughs> uh, Friday night. Uh, what was the result of that game? I did not look. Modern day got waxed. Uh, Mount Zion put it on them uh, pretty good. I think 34 nothing might have been the uh, wow. score at one point. I'm not, I'm not positive on the final. Uh, but uh, Mount Zion's a good team, out, um, also out of the uh, Apollo Conference there with uh, Muhammad. Uh, and we're going to dive into the postseason schedule here in a second, uh, but uh, Muhammad will be playing a, a familiar foe in, in round one. Uh, but but uh, Highland uh, puts the cap on the season, Rodney. They, um, you know, when, when it started against Bree Central, uh, we really didn't have a, a clue which way this season was going to go. And we talked about it early on and every week here in uh, Bulldog Valley was – 
we had four teams go to the postseason last year out of the Valley, and they all four suffered some uh, senior uh, departures. And uh, left standing at the end of the season here, Highland and Triad are the only two that are going to be uh, marching on next week. And uh, Highland did it in a very impressive fashion, uh, going eight and one. And uh, uh, especially after the week two loss to to Muhammad Seymour, twenty eight nothing setback, we were really puzzled as to which way this was going to go. Yeah, the next two three weeks, uh, you and I would be talking before the game. Yet uh, we we, we were getting a feel that our defense was going to be stout. We knew the offense could score. It would depend on what the defense could do. And uh, my goodness, they have just been stout all year. They, they've rolled through the conference. Um, I, was, I was looking at that in, in recap here. and uh, They allowed one touchdown every conference game. That was it. Wow. Uh, every every all five conference games, they gave up just the one, one score. And uh, uh, they were able to, to pretty much score it, I won't say at will every time they touch the ball, but uh, they, they scored rather handily in the conference games. Now, when got out of conference, um, the defense was a little more challenged, and I think some of that is just familiarity, right? Uh, right. Coach wanted to keep playing these guys year after year, uh, tends to know the tendencies that, that some of the coaches do and, and um, the look and feel they're, they're getting from them. And so, so, so what, But when they went out of conference, the defense was – more apt to give up a couple touchdowns. Uh, four was the most they gave up, and that was Friday night against Decatur and week two against uh, Muhammad. But um, uh, so, so all in all, just a, a spectacular season defensively for Highland and offensively. They got one of the bigger point differentials um, in the postseason. Uh, it, it, not, not the biggest. There's a few that have bigger point differences. Uh, but Highland's averaging right in that 36, 37 point differential range, and uh, that's pretty, a pretty sound season when you. <laughs> that's amazing. You do that, and so uh, they rolled through conference. Uh, they they rolled through non-conference really. I mean, just one loss, and that was an early season, still trying to figure out who we are. Uh, so now we go into in, into postseason, and um, uh, there's a, there's a lot to um, look forward to in 5A. We were. Um, even up until Saturday night, uh, not sure if it was going to be 4A or 5A, and it turns out to be 5A. And um, I, nothing wrong with that. Um, I like the path that Highland got. I like the seed they got. I like the matchup they got in round one. Uh, the Mount Vernon Rams come in, and, and the Rams um, in the postseason for the second year in a row. And uh, that's a program that, that's been uh, down more than up in, in recent years. But uh, their head coach, I was looking at this, Rodney, Dan Mings, he was their coach from 2001 to 2010 uh, down there at Mount Vernon, and he made six playoff appearances. Um, and then he stepped aside after that, and I don't know the background into that as to, to why he did, but he came back last year and got in the postseason immediately in his first year back, and uh, he's back again. So he's got something, there's something to be said about how, how he approaches it, and uh, he's got his team uh, prepared uh, for postseason play here. Coaching is so important, and sometimes it doesn't get talked about. Um, I know you're good at, at bringing it up. Um, but, yeah, a coach that has a sound game plan every week, you have to have that. And so, so that that'll be their their first round opponent. Now, Mount Vernon's schedule, um, they they come in at five and four, uh, but they 
they played a, a somewhat weak schedule, you know, and it's, it's no secret Highland's uh, schedule was a little bit down as well. They each only played three teams with winning records uh, on the season. Mount Vernon went one and two against them with their victory being against the, I think Collinsville was uh, who they, they managed to pull out a victory with losses. Um, Cahokia was one of the losses, and I, I forget who the other is, but uh, um, other victories came against the likes of Alton and Granite City, and uh, um, so so not not stall, not not super impressive uh, victories. Vic, uh, teams you expect to beat when they're they're down uh, uh, on a year like uh, both those schools are. So so it, you figure Highland has the upper hand having the home game and. Uh, um, just statistically, they they look better, and uh, you know they're eight and one versus five and four, and so so you kind of like that first round matchup against Mount Vernon. Their opponent, uh, potential opponent, should they take care of business in um, round one, is a uh, uh, Metamora versus Decatur MacArthur. Um, Things get tougher starting week two. Let's just put it that way. Yes, when yes. You, you look at this Decatur MacArthur team, and it, they they go on the road to Metamora. Um, they're six and three, and one of their victories was a, a pretty impressive win over Sacred Heart Griffin two weeks ago. Uh, so that says something yeah, right there, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And uh, um, so so that's you say, well, I hope they win and we play Decatur, um, you know, but uh, and you look at Muhammad, uh, or I'm sorry, Metamora, uh, they're one of the more decorated teams in the state, right? Year in, year out, uh, they get there. In fact, we're gonna dive into that. Might as well do it now in this 5A bracket. It is a bracket of IHSA royalty, especially <laughs> the southern half that um, uh, Highland's in. Uh, get, a, get a load of a couple of these teams that are, that are in. Um, Metamora, thirty-sixth um, appearance in the postseason, sixty-five and thirty-two overall, uh, with three titles and seven second-place finishes, um, and that's that's a potential uh, round two opponent for Highland. Um, round three potential opponent, um, the uh, um, Morton, who who we saw. Uh, uh, Couple weeks ago, I, I think that's around thing. I, mean, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to my uh, looking down the road. That let's just talk about the teams in that bracket. You got uh, Morton, you got uh, Metamora, you got Morris, the number one seed. Uh, their 37th appearance, 78 and 33 overall in the postseason, with three um, titles and eight second place finishes. New Lenox Providence. Uh, well, that's uh, one I haven't heard of. Uh, yeah, the uh, 39th appearance. They've got ten first place finishes wow. and four second place finishes, and so. So when they get there, they get the job they, done the yeah, majority they, of the time. They know how to do it. <laughs> Ninety three and thirty eight. Some will tell you it's the uh, uh, private school versus versus Catholic um, thing, and, uh, and and so as well as Sacred Heart Griffith, also in our our quadrant. Um, their forty third appearance, ninety two and thirty six, six first and six seconds in history. And then they also, I haven't even mentioned the most decorated program in Illinois um, high school history, Joliet Catholic. Oh, yeah. Is also, uh, and that's a potential uh, um, semifinal opponent. Um, 44th appearance, they've got a 122 and 28 record with 15 state titles. Wow. And four second place finishes. So 
Uh, JC comes in at uh, six and three this year, but boy, they play a monster schedule. Yeah, they're they're in the Catholic Conference uh, up there in, in Chicago land, and uh, uh, they don't shy away from anybody um, to to put on their schedule. And so six and three is kind of like uh, an East St. Louis seven and two in a six uh, A bracket, right? Yeah. So yes. so you, you you look at that, and so that's some uh, darn impressive royalty <laughs> yes, uh, and, and that's just the bottom half and, and now you look at like uh, Joliet and, and New Lenox it's uh, five and four this year and, and um, uh, Sacred Heart Griffin six and three uh, they got some blemishes this year but but they got the aura of their program so when you draw a school like that you you're looking at that aura of the program as well it affects you mentally. It just does. You you automatically think of how good they are, not what their record is this year. Right. Uh, right. So it becomes the coaching challenge to get the kids focused on. Yes. You know, forget everything that happened in the past. This we can this beat week, these guys this week, and <laughs> they're beatable this year. Believe me. And uh, so you try to try to do that sell job on, on your players, but yeah, you got to get them hyped up to where they believe they can win. Because if you don't believe you can win going in, you're not going to win. Well, yeah, and uh, it's a double, doubly tough on a, a program like Highland, who's a uh, um, building and aspiring to get to that level. And uh, you know, this is the eleventh year for for Coach Warnicky to get to the postseason, and he's trying to get up that next rung. And, and when you start running into programs like Metamora and and uh, uh, Joliet Catholic and and Morris, uh, you know, it, it's a tough task at hand. One that's doable um, when you think about how prolific Highland's offense is, um, that might keep them in the games for for uh, uh, an extended period, and, and their defense has been just as stellar this season. So, so Highland's got a legit shot to to get get through a few rounds, and who knows uh, what can happen after that. I agree. That's why it doesn't matter what it says on paper. You still have to show up and play the game. Saturday afternoon, 1 o'clock kickoff um, on uh, BulldogRadioHighland.com. We'll have that one for you. Uh, so, so that's some of the royalty um, Highland uh, potentially is facing. Now, the upper half has a lot of Chicagoland schools. Uh, I thought it was interesting the way they put Sycamore, who happens to be in the same conference as Morris. Uh, those two had an epic battle Friday night and uh, uh, to end the season, both going 8-0 into that game. Uh, Sycamore gets a pretty high seed up in the upper bracket, Morris in the lower, and so they kind of framed it to where potentially uh, conference foes could be playing in the uh, final game of the year. Uh, Highland hopes to help them avoid that. Other teams of interest in 5A, uh, we mentioned Decatur MacArthur, um, and because of their their nice victory over SHD, but Carbondale has put together a pretty good season. Uh, they're, they're at 7-2, and two and they'll, they'll host a first-round game as well. Uh, Carbondale coming out of the same conference as uh, Mount Vernon there in the South 7, uh, so uh, a, a potential opponent of Highland uh, down the road in the postseason. Let's poke around at some of the other area schools, and then we'll take it class by class here. And, and not a whole lot of 1A schools in the area, but one that's... Uh, Fallen down to the 1A level, the Altoff Crusaders um, have um, um, find themselves in 1A this year. They're an 8-1 and one team, and they'll host Tuscola, um, a 
Hey, one a uh, regular um, third thirty second appearance, and uh, they've got four, two first and four second place finishes in state. Altoff at uh, eight and one. It's their twenty um, sixth appearance. Uh, and the Crusaders with three state titles and uh, two second place finishes, and uh, a lot of people look at them as the favorite in one A because of uh, uh, the schedule they play. They they typically play uh, kind of like Decatur Saint Teresa uh, schools uh, well above their enrollment level. Uh, but Altoff's been down for a few years, so the uh, multiplier into uh, what they do with private schools is uh, not in effect for Altoff this year, and that's how they end up in in 1A. The only other area of school of note, Hardin Calhoun, um, making their 32nd appearance. Now, um, they're of course up the river uh, from, from Grafton. They've got two uh, uh, first place uh, finishes and one second place finish. Of course, they had some um, um, real good years with Rick Johns as head coach over there. Uh, he of uh, Bella West in the past and uh, had a good stint at, at Westland for a few years. Um, but he, he got one or two of those uh, trophies while he was down there at uh, Hardin Calhoun. 2A, the modern-day Knights find themselves in 2A. Another school similar to Altoff that that um, has found themselves in a lower and lower class, and uh, they seem to have leveled off here in, in 2A. Uh, but modern-day is at Carby. Um, school down there on the Indiana border, I believe Carby is on. Uh, wow. Down Interstate 70, uh, just south of 70, and uh, uh, they'll take on uh, Carmine White County, who's at 7-2, and two, modern day at 6-3. and three. Um, Plays a tough schedule, and one of those losses to a Highland opponent, Breeze Central, um, and, uh, uh, and then the other night to uh, Mount Zion, who's going to be playing in 4A, so modern day sitting there at, at 2A. A um, couple other area schools of note, Nashville. Um, making their 21st appearance, uh, 29 and 20 record overall, and uh, they've got three second place uh, pieces of hardware, and so they'll be trying to to get that elusive uh, first place trophy. Redbud, another school, uh, making a, a postseason appearance. Now, not too frequent for them, and uh, the other one down there, Westland. Um, Redbud will be playing at Chester. It's their tenth appearance in Westland at Shelbyville, and it's uh, their eighth appearance in in the postseason. And Vandalia is at Lawrenceville, um, also in in two A. I'm a little surprised Vandalia is two A. I would have thought them a little bigger than that. How about the season Greenville's had? Yes. <laughs> Undefeated, and, uh, when they'll host Fairfield, uh, Greenville making their 25th appearance and they're 28 and 24 overall uh, in the postseason, but uh, still searching for that hardware. And this might be a year they they have a shot. Is uh, uh, they come in nine and zero uh, and hope to get uh, something rolling here in the postseason. A couple other uh, area schools, of course, we've been talking about Roxana all season long. And uh, uh, the way they've steamrolled through their schedule, they're 9-0 as well. They'll be hosting Paris, <coughs> who's uh, in Roxana. Shell's making their 20th appearance, but um, a lot of those came back in their early Valley days, back yes. in the day when you, you were playing yes. uh, every year, yes. right? Yep. 
Uh, of course, Charlie Rach, the legendary coach here, and they named the field after him. And uh, he got him in the postseason quite regularly through the late 70s, all through the 80s, um, uh, trickled into the 90s, and they've kind of fallen off the radar a bit since uh, Charlie stepped aside. But uh, they're back in, a, back in a big way with a legit shot uh, to, to get to, to uh, a deep run here in the postseason this year. The other schools of note I have here, Litchfield, I noted because uh, I mean that's a struggling program that typically is a, um, a bottom feeder for for anybody that stepped on the field with them. <laughs> Only their sixth postseason appearance in their history. Wow! And so uh, um, they're looking for their first post postseason victory. They take on Stanford, who I know zero about or even where they're at. So yeah, I couldn't help you out with that one either. I, I've looked up most of these teams, but I didn't get the Stanford. Uh, and then uh, the other one back in, uh, in, in the prominence that um, the program that's been pretty good, pretty solid uh, throughout their history, DuCoin makes a return. Um, they're also play them. Yeah, Highland had a, a series man, probably yes. about eight or ten years there, maybe. I remember uh, driving down there, so yeah. Yeah, and uh, they're they're at nine and zero, and they're they're a legit threat to to make a run for a title this year. Uh, they got two first and five second place finishes as far as harder. Of course, I did mention Roxana. Charlie did have one second place finish back in the day. Uh, I think that came back in like 82 or 83 um, when Roxanna made a title appearance. Uh, but DeCoin at 9-0, and I had a, a great memory from broadcasting a game down at DeCoin that Highland was playing at. And, um, broadcasting with Steve Lancey, um, former, oh, former, team, yeah. former teammate of yours back in the late 70s. Yeah, I remember him. Um, but uh, uh, Steve passed away a few years ago. But, yes, unfortunately. But he, uh, uh, he was making a call. We're playing DeCoin, and they had a mammoth uh, lineman, 330-pound uh, lineman. And there was a fumble on the play, and he fell on it. And Lancey makes the call, he says, and I'll, I'll say Johnson. I don't remember the kid's name. He says, there's a fumble, and Johnson lands on it. Boy, that ball might be flat after he falls on it. <laughs> they unpile, and the ref holds up a flat ball. Oh. <laughs> I just died laughing in the booth and said, partner, that's the greatest call I've ever heard. <laughs> they had to get a new football after that call. And, uh, it, it was, it was a, a fun moment. We oh, laughed all the way my. home on that one. And, and it helped that Highland won that game that year. Well, that always helps. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember right, uh, those uh, the last time we were playing around down with them was when my nephews were... Uh, either playing on the team or they were helping coach, but I think they were playing at that time. So, <laughs> and so, and then DeCoin kind of hit some rough spots, and uh, Highland moved on from them. And uh, uh, but look, look for DeCoin to make a deep run in in three A this year. Uh, get the four A. My favorite matchup in round one is going to be right down the road here at Bree Central, as the Cahokia Comanches come into into town. And, uh, and Cahokia is a 5-4 and four record, but that's a deceptive 5-4. and four. They had two forfeit losses uh, one because of a fight that broke out. You might remember this I, earlier I in do. the season. They were playing Granite City, and uh, a melee broke out, um, I think, in the stands, and it, it carried on to the field. And uh, so both teams uh, had 
so many players kicked out, they had to forfeit. So Koki was winning that game handily, but had to take a take a, a loss. A loss. Yep. And in IHSA, when you get kicked out, you can't play the next week. So both those schools had to take forfeit two, two losses. Forfeits. Yep. So that five and four record, uh, we know would have been six and three. Um, and, and I forget who their opponent seven, seven and two. And so yes. very, very tough draw for the, the Central Cougars. Uh, they do get them at home. Central does get the, the home game against them. And so uh, they play on Saturday afternoon down there at Cougar Field. And, and so uh, Astro Field, I think they can name it, after uh, uh, late school administrator Robert Astroth. He was there back in my day. But um, uh, Central will take take on Cahokia, and they're just what I think is a phenomenal first-round match. Uh, Freeburg, uh, Central, by the way, their 16th appearance. They were a little slow to get rolling down there. Now, when I played, we had teams that would have qualified by today's standards. Same with you, I think. You were on a couple it was of different. Um, um, good teams under under Glenn Munkin, but it was different back then. Uh, they only took the conference champions yep. and uh, very few at large, if any, uh, teams. I think they took a couple to accommodate for teams without a, a conference. Um, so so their 16th appearance, they've got 10 victories in their history against the 15 losses. And Cahokia, their 20th appearance, and they're uh, 17 and 19 over the years. Freeburg finds themselves at Charleston. Uh, Freeburg, of course, knocking out Waterloo in Week 9 uh, ended uh, uh, Waterloo's aspirations for postseason play. And that was a blowout, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, they handed them, it might have been a shutout loss. That's what I was thinking. I want to say 34 nothing, something like that. Um, and the only other team of note I have in the 4A bracket is Rochester. And, um, of course, they're making their 22nd appearance. Now, this is a program that didn't get started until like 1995. Well, they're a powerhouse. And, uh, yeah, and I'm not, I, I never understood why they never had football before that because you start football and you're immediately in 4A. So it tells me they've been, they were big enough to have football um, uh, unless the, the school started late, you know, because they're, they're, yeah, tagged, that, they're just know. south of Springfield and maybe they were uh, part of a district there or something. I don't know the exact history, but the, uh, boy, since they've started, though, uh, in 95, you're talking, what, 30 years? Yeah, um, and, just about. Uh, not, even, not even 30 years. They've got 22 appearances, and uh, the only hardware they got is eight first-place trophies. So when they get there, they don't lose. <laughs> that is just <laughs> yeah, 59 and 13 overall career record um, uh, for them. Of course, Coach Leonard, uh, his, his father, um, was over at Sacred Heart Griffin until last year. Uh, this year was the first year he hasn't been coaching sidelines in who knows how long, 40 years. Uh, so so um, now the uh, the son's still riding the, the train over there at Rochester, and they're going to be a tough out. They look like they're um, set to get you know, trophy number nine in four. Well, and, and Highland, is, uh, as a team, is well aware of what Rochester can do is they totally dismantled us up there. Yeah, uh, they, we, we've been we, twice in the last six years, I think it is, Rochester ended our season. Of course, the, the uh, game against uh, uh, Sam Laporta his senior year, 
um, still wish uh, we had better weather and that oh, see was, what would have happened. That was a brutal, a brutal day, but both miserable. teams both teams have to play it, and so, oh, yes. so you know yes. it's, it's it's not a cop out. I just would have liked to seen if the same result comes on a on a clean field. That was a brutally cold, yeah, wet, just a, a yeah. It was a true football weather game. <laughs> yeah. Now those guys think of Green Bay with the ice. Now those guys on Rochester are going, "Hey, we beat the NFL guy." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, they probably got a couple that have trickled through over the years um, up there as well. Um, so, so that's um, uh, a look at four A, and then five uh, A. We've kind of talked a little bit about it in the upper quadrant, though. Triad lands up up there. And not in our, or the upper half of the southern quadrant. Um, and Triad plays a familiar foe for for Highland, their first round opponent, Muhammad Seymour. Oh boy. Uh, is who they get. And what's interesting about this, Muhammad, um, their two losses have come against Washington, who's uh, um, highly seated in 6A, and Morton. Um, who's um, uh, highly seated in, in 5A. Morton, a potential opponent, by the way, of uh, Highland in this quadrant. But um, And we owe them. <laughs> uh, so Mahat, by, by virtue of that loss at the end of the season to, to Morton, uh, Muhammad goes to 7-2, and two and Highland gets the 3 seed in, in 5A, Muhammad the 4 seed. Uh, so, so it's an interesting um, uh, turn of events there for uh, how that works out, and that could come into into play um, as a, a home game uh, potential. We'll see how that that works out. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, there are a lot of moving parts, and so so it could work out where Highland gets Muhammad in a rematch and uh, gets them at home uh, potentially. Um, we'll see. That has to play a lot to be done before then. A lot of ifs along the way. So uh, Triad, um, uh, based off what we've seen, we've seen both teams, Rodney. Um, I, I, you got to say Muhammad's probably a clear favorite. I, I honestly, yeah, I think Muhammad, unless something changes, uh, they dominate that game, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. Triad's capable of putting points on the board. Now, Highland found a way to, to shut them down, and Muhammad shut down a prolific Highland offense, so, so you kind of do the, uh, the math, you know, the, you know, the <laughs> equation there, and then, yeah, you think Muhammad uh, comes out on top against, against Triad. Triad had a very exciting Week 9 game. They, they pulled off a, a victory over Collinsville, uh, 7A school, 7A playoff school, uh, 36-35 by virtue of a last-second field goal. Now, they played closer to home. Their, their kicker was able to make it to the game at halftime after beating <laughs> Highland in the postseason. And so a uh, good thing he did because he got home. He got back in time to, to, to get the game-winning field goal. And so uh, they came away with that, that Week 9 victory and puts them at 6-3. and three. They still have to go on the road against a 7-2 and two Muhammad team. But... Uh, um, Perhaps some momentum built up. They're, they're playing. They played a playoff school that's much bigger than them, uh, going to, going in seven A in Collinsville. And Collinsville, not the most intimidating program, uh, but this is their second year in a row hitting the postseason. So, so they turned some things around there. So very impressive. Um, um, also, got to take into account I mean, Triad's really close to bumping up to 
the 6A. Yeah, yeah, um, they are. They they're... are right there. You know, they're, they're, they've got to be the um, student body-wise, probably the biggest school in 5A that Highland plays. Yeah, yeah, it could be, could be. Um, so, so you're right. And then a uh, 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 tip of the hat to Coach Pottis. Uh, oh, over definitely. There Year one. And um, um, he finds a way to, to get his squad in the postseason. Not an easy thing to do. Coach Warnicke will tell you that. Yes. Um, and, and so uh, a tip of the hat over there to, to the Knights for, for uh, finding a way to, to get into the postseason in year one of uh, Coach Pottis' first season. Yeah, because all the returning players, although they lost a lot of seniors too, but all the players that didn't return, you're learning a, a new system, as we saw, you know, a lot more passing than there right. used to be, and so a whole new system to learn, and uh, he did a good job of getting that through to the players. So that's our, our look at 5A, um, 6A. Let's see what I jotted down here. Um, one team of area uh, interest, um, the East St. Louis Flyers, uh, and, and bless their heart, they, they have an enrollment of 5A uh, schools, but they petition to play up every year, um, and this year is uh, no different. Thank you, East St. Louis. Uh, <laughs> of Everybody in 5A is thanking them. <laughs> they're, they're one of the uh, uh, Illinois Royal League programs, their 42nd appearance. They've got a 105-31 and 31 record over the years in postseason. Ten first-place finishes, four second-place finishes, and, so, um, and then a countless um, feeder program into uh, major college programs. You see an NFL guy trickle through um, every few years and uh, – you know, I remember when I was with the quarterback club, Danny Cox came and... Uh, Brian Cox. Or Brian Cox. Yeah. And he went through East St. Louis, didn't he? He did. Yeah. And he came and, and did a, a thing for all the youth that and, and talked about a guy he'd signed. It. Yeah, great guy. Was was awesome. Yeah, I got, I got from a, the Dolphins, right? Uh, he, had a, he had a couple of different teams. I got a couple of great Brian... Brian Cox stories. <laughs> One, I worked with a guy when I was at McDonald Douglas for a few years. I worked with a guy, Scott Calvin, who played at Collinsville. And uh, uh, I, I did some math and said, man, you had to, you had to be right about the age you uh, played against East St. Louis when Brian Cox was there. And he went, oh, yeah. Remember, Bully goes, hey, let me tell you what it was like playing Brian Cox, did he? He said, we're, we're warming up before a game. We're, we got off to a great start. We were 4-0 this year, and, and we're playing East St. Louis. And um, I'm all pumped up. And Scott was a hefty guy. He was, he was a middle linebacker and a, a big kid. And, and he's talking about, he's like, uh, all right, Coach Cox, I want you just all over. Uh, or Scott, I want you all over Cox. You take him out of this game. All right, Coach, which is which one is he? That one over there. And I looked across the field and I just went. <laughs> his his pregame warm up. He had a railroad tie on his shoulders that he was just doing some agility exercises with. <laughs> he said, I, that just was the start of my longest afternoon of football in my career. And the other, the other Brian Cox story, this, by this time he's in the NFL, and he played with Miami, and um, he, he also played with Buffalo. Okay, I think he was and, with Miami when he came to see us. But that's... And I don't remember which team he was on at the time. 
But uh, whoever it was, the other team didn't like him. Uh, and I think because he left. And I don't remember which one was first. But what I do remember, this is week four. And Paul McGuire, one of the, the great color analysts in, in television. Yes, he was. Uh, football history. Um, they show Brian Cox coming out of the field. And he's holding up a middle finger. <laughs> and it's week three. He's holding up a middle finger to the crowd who is just mercilessly booing him <laughs> and, uh, and they show that and Paul McGuire without flinching just says and there's Brian Cox uh, informing the visiting or the home crowd of Buffalo's record uh, heading into week three they're one and one <laughs> <laughs> uh, well there was another player came with Brian Cox off of the Dolphins and for the life of me and it was a good play I just can't remember his name but uh, Cox, yeah, he was fun to watch play. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the Flyers uh, come in at 7-2. and two. Of course, there are two losses, preseason losses to USA Today, ranked top 10 teams, uh, who they play pretty tough. They also beat one of those teams in the preseason. And so uh, East St. Louis uh, rolled through the Southwest Conference, although Edwardsville gave them a battle. Yes. Uh, Edwardsville only lost 28-15 to them. And so... Um, it's almost a moral victory. Edwardsville say no, uh, heck no. We we, we need can to beat, beat we can beat East St. Louis. We have done it in the past been nine years now. But um, uh, so the Flyers uh, in in pr pretty good pretty good shape going to, in six A. Seven A schools. Other uh, uh, couple area team or not area teams, but other teams of interest in six uh, A. Uh, Dunlop goes 6A this year. That was a Highlands opponent last year yeah. in round one. And uh, they waxed them pretty good in that round one matchup. I think it was 50 nothing that uh, was the final in that yes. game. And uh, they, go to, they go to 6A this season, their 31st appearance. Uh, they do have one second-place finish. Uh, Washington, and also another recent opponent of Highlands uh, uh, a couple of years in a row there. Yeah, we went one and one against them. Their 36th appearance, and uh, they also have a, a first and second place trophy. Uh, and 7A Collinsville uh, makes their sixth appearance overall. Uh, they're one and five in history, and uh, um, they go on the road uh, somewhere up north. I forget who they're, who they're matched up against, but um, um, kudos to the Cayhawks for... Uh, getting back on the on the winning track here in recent years, their second year in a row, uh, I believe it is going into the postseason. And then at 8A, a couple of home games at the AA uh, level, not a, a common thing for, for the Metro East to have uh, home games in, in round one, although Edwardsville's had their share, and they'll, they'll have another one this week. Uh, as they take on Aurora West at uh, 1 p.m. on Saturday, um, and Belleville East uh, will also get a home game uh, virtue of their 7-2 and two record with two losses against East St. Louis and Edwardsville. So uh, Belleville East, a really fine season this year. Uh, their 23rd appearance, 7-22 and 22 overall. Edwardsville winning record in the postseason, 32-28 and 28 and a couple second-place uh, trophies and, uh, to their credit. Uh, Aurora West and Aurora East come to... Um, Southern Illinois this weekend. Uh, Aurora East and Belleville East will be Friday night at, at 6 p.m. Um, these Aurora schools, not much of a playoff history, so uh, you don't have that intimidating factor of uh, riding over their head. So both these teams have a, a legit shot at a round one victory. Uh, just a ninth appearance overall for 
uh, Aurora West against Edwardsville. And Aurora East, just her fourth appearance, and they're making, I did research this a little bit, Rodney, it's their first appearance since 1982. Oh, uh, wow. That's the longest gap uh, in postseason appearances of all 41 years of all the teams in the in the postseason this year now there is one school a chicagoland school making their first appearance uh, but uh, this is their first appearance aurora um, east since 1982 wow and so uh, um, they're back into into it for the first time since then that's a long drought uh, in, in football terms yes it is well, I'm all geeked out for the postseason, as you can tell, Mr. Knackstead. Um, uh, how about you? You ready for some uh, postseason action? I am definitely ready for some postseason season action, and I'm, I'm hoping uh, things go better for Highland uh, this year than they did last year. We had our hopes built up so high with the team we had and that first-round big victory and taking on a Mascuta team that we had demolished just three weeks earlier, I think. And... Uh, you know that uh, that was a big learning experience for everybody, staff, yeah. players, uh, the ones that are returning. They're not going to forget that, which is a good thing. So yeah, you know I, I agree. I agree. That's a good point. It's a it's a good thing to have that um, um, you know half your roster back that that has remembers that, that heartbreak that, exactly. And so so uh, focus um, um, could be well uh, established for Highland um, um, heading into into this week. The Mount Vernon Rams are opponent heading into week one of the postseason Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Uh, Rodney and I will have that broadcast for you on BulldogRadioHighland.com. Uh, tune it in, and uh, hopefully it will be the first of a few games we get to do here in the postseason. For Rodney Knackstedt, this is Denny Rittenhouse. Find our podcast uh, anywhere you get your, your uh, podcast streamed. Uh, we're out there from the bench with Dench um, on Spotify, uh, TuneIn Radio, Apple Music, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll, you'll find us. Uh, just do a quick search on From the Bench with Dench and uh, pull up any of our episodes. Uh, and, and as well as uh, you can hear this on um, BulldogRadioHighland.com as well. And uh, uh, find the back episodes out there in the, the thing if uh, you want to take some interest. And uh, uh, give us a listen. On uh, We look forward to hearing uh, feeding your ears on Saturday afternoon in postseason <laughs> football on uh, BulldogRadioHighland.com. Thanks for tuning in. on Bulldog Valley. This is week nine, and so we hope you join us for the postseason run of the Island Bulldogs. 